Jesus, you are mighty to save and you are Lord of all. So Lord, ask that in these next few minutes you help us to understand that a little bit better as we ponder what Easter means. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, happy Easter 10 o'clock. Good to see all of you here, those of you on the podcast as well. A couple years ago, I went on a men's retreat with a few guys from the church uh, to Malibu, Canada, uh, which can only be reached by boat or by seaplane, and we took the seaplane. I think Rich was on it too. Were you on this? Almost on it. Oh, Rich wasn't there. Never mind. As we were, I just thought he was there. As, as, as we were flying home back from the retreat, I looked up and I noticed that there was brown liquid all over the windshield of the plane. And I thought, I'm sure that's normal. And then one of the guys asked the pilot, is that oil? And she said, yes. And we said, is that okay? And she said, no. And then she got on the radio and she started talking, and I just, all I remember was she said, no, we have to plan, land this plane right now. And one of the other guys in the plane was getting kind of stressed out, so there was another guy who was going, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. Meanwhile, the only thing I was thinking, no lie, was this is going to be a great sermon illustration. <laughs> if I live. But then I kind of realized, wait, 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 I'm in the seaplane over Seattle. The whole city is a runway. Right, we're good. I'll, you know, and someone might have pointed out that you might need power to land the plane. Whatever, right? Don't, I don't, don't, don't bug me with those facts, right? So I was kind of calm. We ended up landing in the sound. They sent another plane. It was all okay. Now, normally, I would be really nervous in a situation like that. But afterwards, I realized the reason I was so calm was because I have no mechanical skills at all. So I really did believe they could land the plane even without power. So I wasn't brave. I was dumb. There's a difference, although sometimes they look very similar. That brings me to Easter. I love Easter. I love all the people here, whether you're a regular attender or you have been dragged here or bribed here or drugged to get here, whatever. Like, however you got here, it's great. It's good to be in church together on Easter, but that is not the point. Easter does not call us to go to church. Easter calls us to be brave, and for a better reason than I had on that seaplane. The Easter story starts by saying, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week. That first sentence, so very important. See, Jesus isn't raised on the holy day. He's raised on an everyday work day, Sunday being there Monday. As if to say, I came to transform your everyday life, not send you to church. See, as I read through the Bible, I do not find the religious Jesus who tries to make us all nice church people. I don't see him in Scripture. What I see is the radical revolutionary Jesus who was angry at religious people but went to dinner with prostitutes, terrorists, and white-collar criminals. I see a Jesus who liberated the poor and the marginalized. I see a Jesus who was strong and brave and bold, and he calls us to do the same. One of the questions I get asked as a pastor, or I ask myself even just as a person, is does faith in Jesus work? Well, no. I mean, Jesus got killed. So if what you're looking for is a life of comfort and prestige and ease and success and wealth, Jesus is not your guy. But if what you're looking for is resurrection, the making new of all things, new life coming out of old wounds, if you want to be made braver and bolder and more adventurous, well, then I would say Jesus is your only option. Because you see, Easter's very honest. It's not some kind of panacea. Easter's very honest, and it does not pretend that bad things don't happen. Easter doesn't pretend that things don't die, because they do. Marriages die. Careers die. Hopes die. We die. You know, the death rate these days is hovering steady at one per person. 
So Easter doesn't pretend that things don't die. It just says that they don't stay dead when the power of Jesus touches them. And when you get that, it makes you braver. Those of you who go to this church, you know that my mentor and my predecessor here, Dick Leon, died back in November. Well, just a few weeks ago, something happened that I thought Dick would kind of appreciate it. I was talking with a friend, and my cell phone rang, and I looked at it, and it said, Dick Leon. So I said to my friend, I think I better take this. <laughs> it's long distance. Now, it turned out to be his wife, but, but I took that as kind of a reminder that even though Dick died, he doesn't stay dead. Because when Jesus blew the doors off that tomb 2,000 years ago, he did not usher in a new religious holiday. It was the start of a revolution where the God who made all things began to remake all things new. And the first example of that is Jesus, but it's going to extend to you and me and eventually to this whole world so that marriages that have died can be revived. I've seen it happen dozens of times. So that careers that have died can be made new. So that places of injustice and poverty can be made new. So that we can be transformed. And then even after we die, we don't stay dead. But we are raised not as little spirits floating around, but in a real physical body that will never know pain or death again. And not in some ethereal place with clouds and harps, because that would be boring unless you just love the harp, right? In which case you might get a harp. But otherwise, the rest of us are going to be in a, in, a, in a real place, this earth, fully restored without all the garbage. And see, what that means is that Jesus doesn't just bring things back, but that when he brings them back, they don't come back exactly the way they were before. It's not a full circle kind of a deal. They come back even better. Some of you know Jason, heard of Jason Kidd. He's a basketball coach. Back when he was a player, he was drafted by the Dallas Mavericks, who weren't playing very well at the time. And he gave an interview to a reporter, and he said, you know what, we are going to turn this team around 360 degrees. Okay, when Jesus brings things back, they don't come back all the way around. They don't come back exactly the way they were before. They come back new and improved. Now, admittedly, that can be kind of hard to believe because in our experience, dead things tend to stay dead. That, that's, but there's some really good reasons to believe that reasons that convinced me as an atheist that Jesus really was God in the flesh and raised from the dead. And we've put some of those in the bulletin for you to read. Not now because I'm preaching and that would be rude. But later, you know, after, when you go home, because there's some good reasons to believe that Jesus was really raised from the dead. You know, because it's easy in our culture to just assume, yeah, you know, that was pre-modern times, primitive people. They didn't actually see Jesus raised in the body. They just had a renewal of hope, and they made up this story about the resurrection as kind of a metaphor for that. A couple of problems with that. First, the scriptures claim to be, and they read like eyewitness accounts. So, for instance, when Jesus is carrying his cross, it says a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by, and they forced him to carry the cross. Those names are pretty specific. Right? Like, if you were making this up, you wouldn't put those names in there because they were still alive. Right? Like, folks could just go and say, you know, hey, Rufus, what really happened here? Right? So it's an eyewitness account. It reads like one. But even more than that, the disciples, the disciples all were put to death for claiming that they saw Jesus raised from the dead. People will die for a lot of things, but not something they know they made up. Nobody dies for a made-up metaphor that they decided to make up. Although, as a former English teacher, I can say that I've seen many a student slaughter the English language with a metaphor that they've made up. Sort of like a student who wrote, she had a deep, throaty laugh, like that sound a dog makes just before it throws up. <laughs> Freshman English at its best, right? And yes, that's a simile, I know, but you get the point. 
in the early church, Jews and Gentiles who had hated each other for centuries suddenly started to love each other in the name of Jesus. I find it hard to believe that a made-up metaphor could bring that kind of reconciliation. I find it hard to believe that a made-up metaphor would have caused millions of Christians over 2,000 years to give and serve in such costly and sacrificial ways. Made-up metaphors don't tend to live that long. Today, over a third of the world's population is singing his praises. 2,000 years later, I find it hard to believe that a made-up story concocted by illiterate fishermen could have done so much for so long. Something happened circa 33 AD that has never happened before or since, and it demands an explanation, and the best explanation is that Jesus really was raised from the dead. Now, all that evidence... All that evidence doesn't fully convince. I get that. All the evidence does is show that it is intellectually plausible, I would say probable, that Jesus was raised from the dead. What really convinces us, though, is when we experience Jesus' power in our own lives. There's a theology that's been around for a long, long century, a long, long time, that says that God is all life. God is all of existence. But there's this force in the world that works against God's purposes. The Bible calls that the devil. Now, whether you believe that or not, you kind of got to admit there is some kind of evil in the world. But the way this theology goes, it says the devil, evil, that's the not God. So in a way, it's the not existence. So the only power they have is a negative one, like the power of a vacuum, which can just suck stuff into it. See, all the devil can do, all the devil can do is tear stuff down. Only, only God can, can make stuff. The devil can't make anything. Only God has the power to make stuff. So the enemy can't make a good marriage, but he can tear one down. The enemy can't bring hope, but he can tear hope down. But God not only has the power to create, but to recreate. So whatever the enemy does, God can undo. That's the point of Easter. God works in abundance. The enemy has a budget. And besides, if we were in a different church, like a different kind of church, that would have been a really exciting line. Anyway, <laughs> but you know, that's still, it's kind of hard to believe. So some, I saw something last week, right, that was sort of helped me in my Easter thoughts, something that, based on my previous experience, I never would have thought was possible, but that shows that dead things can come back. The Mariners on the cover of Sports <laughs> Illustrated. Boom. All kinds of predictions that they're going to take the AL West, and when I said this several months ago, some of you doubted, and yes, I know their first game is tomorrow, but you know, still, just, just go with me, all right? Dead things can come back. In lots of ways. And what that means is we can play to win. See, there's a difference in life between playing not to lose and playing to win. When you play not to lose, which is kind of how I play sometimes, you're cautious, you're fearful, you're careful. But when you play to win, you get bold. I heard a, recently a businessman talking about how a couple times a year he goes into the developing world works with local law enforcement to rescue teenage girls who have been forced into the sex industry. And then he throws a big banquet for them where volunteers sit with them and show them how a man is supposed to treat a woman. And then he's raised a lot of money so that they can get scholarships, so they can go to school and get out of all of this. And when people ask him, why would you do this on your vacations? He says, well, the first thing is Jesus compels me to do it. But the second thing is I've been asked by dozens of these girls to walk them down the aisle on their wedding day when they go to be married to a man who is going to treat them right. On their wedding day, they want me to walk them down the aisle. That is a way better vacation than I could ever take in any other kind of way. See, Jesus made him bold. And now he knows that joy is not found in buying another $200 pair of jeans or another car. Joy is helping someone else thrive. Joy is walking a rescued girl down the aisle on her wedding day.
And of course, it's made his life harder. Absolutely. As I said, if comfort, ease, all that, Jesus ain't your guy. Of course, this is make, makes his life harder. Any noble goal will make our life harder. And, and I, that's the problem, right? Because I don't like harder. I like easier. I don't want more problems. I want fewer problems, right? And of course, the best way to attain fewer problems in life is to lead a meaningless life. But if what you want is a meaningful life, a big life, Jesus makes you braver. There's a woman in our church who is an accomplished author of books for young adults. And a while back, her husband got a job in China, moved the whole family out there. Two days after they got to China, he told her that he'd been having an affair with his secretary and was leaving her. She was so devastated, she locked herself in the bathroom. She said she could not bear to look in the mirror because he was leaving her for a younger woman, and that just made her feel just terrible to look in the mirror. Well, a few hours later, she tried to get on the internet, but in China, service is really spotty. So she only managed to get on for five minutes, but just long enough to read an email that had come in from a teenage girl who was born with a red mark on her face, thanking this woman from our church because this teenage girl had read one of this woman's books about a, a girl with a mark on her face. And this teenager wrote to this woman from our church, thank you, because after I read your book, this was the, that was the first time I could look in the mirror in my life and not feel badly about myself. A woman from our church read that, read that and the internet went out right after she read that. But that one email was sort of a sign to her that God was saying, you're not alone. I got this one. I am right here with you. Well, later she got back here to the States with her kids only to discover that her husband had spent all of their money. She was having a really hard time making ends meet. But then a few days later, she got a royalty check for one of her books for the exact amount she needed, minus 17 cents, to pay up all of her bills that were, that were piling up. And when she asked her kids if they'd mind if I told this story, they said, no, because that royalty check, the timing of that check, man, that was a miracle. See, a lot died in that story, but a lot didn't stay dead either because Jesus is making her braver and bolder and rebuilding hope and life and a future better than it ever was before. And that's why we can be brave. That's why we can live life courageously. We don't have to go through life with fear. I saw a video recently that sort of captures how I tend to live life kind of cautiously and fearfully. It's a, it's a driver's ed school in Malaysia that pranked some of their instructors on their first day on the job. And they hired a race car driver and disguised her as a teenager. And take a look what happened. Hi. Hello. My name is Alex. I'm Pristan. Oh, I'm Diana. Hi. Hi. Release the clip. Oh. It's fine, but it's fine, yeah, we can do it. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Go. Go faster. How would you like that to be your first day on the job as a driving instructor? <laughs> so often, man, that is how I go through life. Right? Like, ah, I'm going to die. Right? But here's the thing. Jesus is at the wheel, and he knows that course. 
And he can drive it better than anyone. When you get that, you get braver, and life becomes more fun. In fact, some of those instructors, when they found out she was actually a race car driver, like, can we go again? <laughs> when you get that, it makes us braver. I mentioned earlier that my predecessor here, Dick Leon, died in November when the bike he was riding was struck by a car. And when that accident happened, there was a teenage girl across the street who was a bit of a troubled teen, had made some mistakes in her life, and had moved in with her grandmother to try to get a new start in life. When she saw the accident, she ran across the street to see if there was anything that she could do, and there wasn't, so she just held Dick until the ambulance came. Later in the week, she went to visit Dick's family just to tell them of how much that, that, that moment had moved her. Well, the family held a memorial service down in Arizona before they had one here. They winter in Arizona, so they had one there and then one here. This teenage girl was the first to arrive at that memorial service down in Arizona and one of the last to leave. She just, even though she never really knew him, she just wanted to be in that service and celebrate his life. And they had a book that people could sign, and in it, this girl wrote in that book, Dear Mr. Leon, though I met you at the end of your journey, you have inspired and moved me to continue mine. And when the family told us that story, one of our staff said, you know, I never met Dick, but from everything I've heard about him, this sounds exactly like him, that even at the very end, Jesus was still using him to reach out to others and to change lives. See, with Jesus, lilies always bloom in the valley of the shadow of death and bring new life. And in his last moments, Dick gave new resolve to a troubled teen trying to rebuild her life. From life's first cry till final breath, Jesus was at work. And we know that Dick will not stay dead either. But like all who know Jesus, he's going to be raised in a new body that will never know pain or death again. So what feels dead in your life? Hope? Career? Marriage? Maybe you're just bored and you want a bigger life like that video looked really good to you and you're like, yeah, that's what I want. Whatever it is, if you know Jesus, ask him to make those things new. And if you don't know Jesus, would you please at least check him out? The, in the story, the angel says to the women, come and see the place where he lay. That's an invitation to check it out empirically. Learn more about him. Pray to experience his presence. You've got nothing to lose. Because I've seen miracles. Marriages restored. Careers revived. Hope soaring. And if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus today, there'll be people after the service up here to pray with you and to help you do that. I'll close with this last true story of a, of a guy named George Danzig who was a senior at Stanford during the Depression when jobs were scarce. But the top person in the math class had a slim chance of getting a job teaching. So George studied really, really hard for the final exam. In fact, studied so hard that he ended up being late to the, to the test. So he walked in, all the students were already taking the test. He sat down, did the eight problems on the test paper, and then started on the two problems that were written on the blackboard. But he couldn't solve those two problems. So when he turned his test paper in, he asked his professor if he could have a little more time to work on those two problems. Professor said, okay, go ahead. So he took him home and worked for a couple of days on those two problems on the board, managed to solve one of them, but could not solve the other. So he turned in his test, just sure that he had lost his chance at a job. He said it was one of the darkest moments of his life. Well, the next day, the math professor came to George's house and said, George, you have made math history. And George said, I don't understand. And the professor laughed and said, well, that's because you came in late. See, right before you came in, I was telling the class not to get discouraged and to always persevere because there are math problems that no one, not even Einstein, can solve. And I wrote two of them on the board. 
They were never meant to be solved. They were never meant to be worked on. They were just an example. But you didn't know that, and you've solved one of them, so congratulations. <laughs> George, needless to say, got the teaching job and taught at Stanford until he retired. See, George did not know that it was a foregone conclusion that he would lose, so he played to win. It is not a foregone conclusion that we are going to lose because 2,000 years ago, Jesus absorbed the worst that this world can dish out. Satan's A-game, death, suffering, shame, abandonment. On Palm Sunday, they all sang Hosanna, but then they crucified him and put him in a tomb and said, where are your Hosannas now? And the devil was just sure that he had won, but Jesus rose again, showing that he is stronger than anything that we face. See, all the enemy can do is try to undo what God is doing, but even if he does undo what God is doing, God can redo what the enemy has undone, so don't you come undone because God's not done. Got it? We may suffer, we may feel abandonment, we may feel sorrow and shame, marriages or health on the rocks, all kinds of things. But it is not a foregone conclusion that we are going to lose. Because 2,000 years ago, evil took its best shot, threw its best punch, and its best shot wasn't good enough. Because Jesus exploded out of that tomb, risen with healing in his wings, and he looked at the devil and he said, is that all you got? Because I got more. More hope, more power, more life, more joy, more victory. There is more where that came from. You want to give the devil a nervous breakdown, here's what you do. When he takes his best shot at you, you pray for your enemies. You thank God in advance for how he's going to use hard times for good things in your life and sing and celebrate like there is no tomorrow because Jesus is risen not as a metaphor. He is risen in your life, in my life, in this whole world, and dead things don't stay dead with him because he is stronger and he always has more. All right, you say? Amen. Jesus, thank you so much that you are stronger than anything we face. Jesus, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us be braver, help us be bolder in your name, and walk in your victory. Thank you for your great love that drove you to the cross. Thank you for the power of your love that shattered the chains of death. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.